Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajasad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Now, if this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Usually, I use this time at the beginning of the podcast to let Ben plug a couple of the publications that he's been writing for. Uh, just so that he doesn't muck up our usually pristine conclusion to the podcast. Right, Ben? I don't know why you say let Ben. Like, I'm frantically messaging you, let me plug some stuff, let me plug some... <laughs> Come on, man. Like, I'm not chomping at the bit here. There is a great... I know you get a, an, an, a, a huge dopamine hit for plugging in some of your work. So you know where I I'm, get a I'm... huge dopamine hit? Is when I'm on a busy highway and it's late at night, and I take my hand off the steering wheel and I close my eyes and I count to 30... <laughs> I call it 30 seconds from infinity. Um, and that's – I mean I don't recommend you try that, but what a rush, Sammy. Right. You going to plug those those publications you've been writing for or what? Sure. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Inside Hook, at Driving Line, and at Business Insider, which is Gee. now called just Insider. So There's no more business? Well, there is business, but it's inside. So what happened then? Like all of the – all of <laughs> – it's more than just business now. It's actually interesting because the website started out as, I believe, the Silicon Valley Insider maybe 15 years ago or 20 years ago, a long time. And then they became Business Insider. But they the way they talked about the name change was if the domain insider.com had been available 15 years ago, they would have always been called insider.com. And uh, they just went with Business Insider because that's what was, I, I guess, their branding at the time felt like it would be stronger if they did that instead of insider.net or something. So that's kind of a – it's weird to think about a world where like big business decisions were made based on domain availability. Yeah. And I totally get it, but to people who are younger than me, it might seem strange. Yeah, welcome to the Unnamed Insider podcast where we talk about the insides of all insiders. Um, you can find my work at uh, autotrader.ca as well as TechSpot and EV Pulse and even Nouveau Magazine. Ben, I want you to start our conversation off this week with uh, one of the one of the more interesting cars that uh, you've driven lately. Go for it. So I had the chance to spend some time with the 2021 Volvo XC40 Recharge, Sammy. Hey, I've spent a little bit of time in that too. And um, I had a lot of weird things to say about it. I want to hear what you have to say because if my memory serves correct, I was... I complained about a couple of uh, of important things, and I want to know if uh, we share the same notes there. Well, when are you not complaining about a couple of important things? Uh, <laughs> like, who's that guy, and what's he pointing at me, and why, why can't I see, and why is everything <laughs> I touch wet? I mean, it's – so you, I believe, drove the – Those vehicle. seem like valid complaints, I got to admit. I don't remember the, if if you talked about the vehicle on the show extensively, uh, but this is the electric version of the XC40, if you couldn't tell by the recharge branding, which is very on the nose. Uh, but uh, we've, we're both on record as liking the XC40 a lot, right, Sammy? Yeah, I actually really like the XC40. I think it's a beautiful uh, car inside and out, and it drives pretty well. And I think even for the value, it's uh, it's a pretty good purchase, especially in comparison to the usual cars in that class, like the X. One and X2 the from BMW and the Mercedes uh, GLA, which are a little uh, – they're underwhelming, I think, in terms of quality. Well, so the XC40, the electric version, continues with almost all the stuff that we like. In fact, it, in some ways, it's a lot better. It has a 201-horsepower uh, engine – sorry, motor on each axle, Sammy. So it's 402 horsepower. 
and 486 pound-feet of torque, all-wheel drive, has a 78 kilowatt-hour lithium-ion battery pack, and it does zero to 60 in less than five seconds. Those are all really good numbers. I think uh, anybody looking at numbers alone would be really impressed by all of that. 400 horsepower in an XC40 sounds like a dream come true. Like, and that's awesome. It's a wild amount of power, too, because I know in a lot of um, electric cars, you end up – or sorry, a lot of the more affordable electric cars, there's that instant on torque that gives you a rush – uh, right when you hit the accelerator, but it quickly you run out of it. Like on the highway, the power passing power in an affordable EV is not spectacular. So it's really something no. you, you more notice around town. In this, it's evolved, like adequate in, in, in an affordable EV, like say a Bolt or a, or a Kona. It's just like I can pass that car, I'll be okay. But in one of these like 400 horsepower machines. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> it's very different. The, the, so yeah. the XC40 recharges quick all the time at any speed. And I was very impressed by that. Uh, and right. it doesn't feel – what, what's nice about with the, with the all-wheel drive system too is you're not getting crazy torque steer trying to pull the steering wheel out of your hands. It, it's a very calm, very uh, focused power. It's, it's zero traction issues. Uh, I had the vehicle – on a snowy day and I, I was driving it on I tried to find areas where there was snow on one side of the vehicle and dry pavement on the other and it was very hard to get the all-wheel drive system to break away so traction was great um, but what's even more impressive about the speed of this vehicle is just how heavy it is it is 4,900 pounds <laughs> which is crazy that's like it's like a pickup truck yeah and this is a small SUV as well it's it's an extremely heavy vehicle and I think that informs how it feels in terms of its uh, on-road comportment. Like, it's, it doesn't oh. ever feel sporty, but it does feel very composed. And I yeah. think the suspension is being asked to handle a lot <laughs> if, you're, if you try to get it um, through a corner quickly. It's not something it wants to do. But in terms of absorbing up broken pavement and uh, all the potholes that Montreal has, it was very, very good at that. My biggest complaint with the with the weight and the suspension, you could really feel it when you when you were hitting the brakes. I think more so than when you're take, tackling a corner or anything. Well, the car just feels like it dives a little bit more. Now that you mentioned the brakes, that brings up something I want to talk about with the XC40. So, mm-hmm. um, this vehicle has a one pedal driving system, like pretty right. much. Right, I didn't like this one pedal driving system. I thought it was a little too aggressive and made me look like a doofus in a parking lot. Well, I mean, to be fair, you could make yourself look like a doofus in a parking lot without the Volvo's help. So I don't know oh, how much thanks, blame <laughs> you want to assign. I, I can too. Um, make you look like a doofus. You just did in I a think. parking lot. But for for people who are familiar with electric vehicles, one pedal driving is where the regenerative braking system, which which takes the kinetic energy of the rolling vehicle and transforms it into more electricity that recharges the battery while you're braking. Um, it's when you make that system so aggressive that as soon as you lift off the accelerator, it engages and it will actually stop your vehicle within a relatively short space of time. So the idea being, if you've ever driven a golf cart, uh, it's very similar. It's a way to capture as much electricity as possible. And in theory, if you plan out your stops well in advance, you never have to use the brake, like a traditional braking system. Mm -hmm. A lot of vehicles will allow you to adjust how aggressive you want it to be. Sammy, I don't think you can in the Volvo, can you? No, I think it just has one setting. In fact, that's one of the more interesting... There are some decisions with the Volvo XC40 uh, recharge which seem to showcase simplicity, right? Like to just 
get in and drive. Well, right? it's, it's, it's definitely outside the configurability mainstream. Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very on or off. You can, have, um, you can have regenerative braking or you can't. And if you do have it, it's very aggressive. And to be honest, I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, I found it worked fairly well. You have to get used to it. But what was interesting was after I got used to it and I turned it off just to drive around without it and see what that felt like, it felt unnatural. Like I'd gotten so accustomed to it. Mm-hmm. And I know that you had an issue where you were parallel parking and you found that it was really difficult to kind of gauge when you should lift off the accelerator in order to not hit the vehicle in front or behind and like kind of estimate where the Volvo was going to stop you, right? Well, yeah, I like to kind of coast into a parking spot. Instead, this was just like, Slamming on the brake, it felt like it was slamming on the brakes as I was like trying to. You coast my- like Joe Cool, like one arm <laughs> out the window and a bandana, and I'm trying to picture you know, this. You know how I do. Yeah, so I don't know. I I, I specifically parallel parked the Volvo just because you mentioned that, and <laughs> I wanted to see like how bad it was, but it wasn't that bad. I don't know. Okay, fine. I got that one wrong then, according to you. Um, I think it was worth. I think it's worth talking about. But I also think there's no drive modes, right? Or they, maybe there's just one drive mode. There is just one drive mode, which is interesting. Again, every electric car I've driven has had a sport mode, or an eco plus mode, or an eco mode, where you can either have all sorts of um, acceleration and and a very sensitive. I, I, I can't. It's not a throttle. I'm not going to call it a throttle. Very sensitive. Accelerator. Uh, did I just say X sensitive? X sensitive. You know how it is. A very sensitive accelerator. Or you can have eco mode, which like dials back the heating system to almost nothing and like yeah. really takes away the response of the engine or the motor. So go sacrifice yourself for range mode. Yeah, it's the <laughs> am I going to get home? And if I get home, will I still be like, uh, uh, will I be a, chiv- a shivering block of ice when I like fall out the door of my EV? Um, but uh, the Volvo doesn't have any of that. It's just like, hey, here you go. <laughs> yeah, deal with this. Sport mode. Bye. Like, that's okay. I mean, listen, I think there's a, there's a, there's a beauty to that simplicity. There but is- there, was, there was one part of that simplistic formula that I don't think adds up very nicely. And there's that's a couple with- parts of it, Sammy. Oh, okay. Hit me with it. The first one is the other thing that this vehicle doesn't do that every other vol- that every other electric vehicle does and pretty much every other gas powered vehicle does on the market is tell you how much range you have left <laughs> you get into this thing and you have a battery gauge like a gas gauge and that's it there's nothing that says 200 miles to empty or 100 miles to empty i think it's a number get, it just shows a percentage it's just it shows like a percentage until you've you got get 30% to, battery until you get to 25% battery at which point it tells you how many miles you have remaining now it tells you how 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 worried you should be yeah but i i call it time to panic mode like <laughs> yeah. This is problematic for many reasons. The first being, it's removing a feature that every other vehicle has. Even a gas car tells you distance to empty on on how much fuel you have left. Um, for no reason. There's, there's no reason for this. And I asked Volvo because there was a presentation. Sammy asked Volvo too, right? You asked. Yep, you got a chance I to did. ask the same question. And they told me it was a, deci- a design decision they made. And I think they threw in um, their, their corporate... Cousins at Polestar, which have the the range estimate the, the range remaining uh, in terms of mileage uh, on their gauge cluster, as a reasoning, they don't want to step on on Polestar's. So because there. one other company has a feature, they can't have that feature. One one other very niche company. Does that company also have seatbelts? 
Because the XC40 recharge has seatbelts too, and that's a problem for me. If they both have seatbelts, then that's brand confusion. I think that's what they said. I might be confusing things. But what did they tell you? The bottom line is they said, yeah, design decision. Um, We didn't want people to be focused on range. Okay, well, that's what people are focused on. I I, think the design decision was they ran out of time to design this. No, they didn't because they still show you range, but only if you're at 25% battery. Like the code is there. It's just not active. And, this and, has and, to get an update in the future. I mean, these are these are advanced cards with electric with uh, with I think connectivity features. It's going to get updated. There's no way they can continue to sell this car without that feature. The reason, and it's not even a feature. This is an expectation. This is like a, a gauge that we should all have. It is odd. It is odd. Um, I there's a there's a way around it. If you want to find out how much range you have, you have to use something else that the Volvo is introducing for this year. And that's they they have uh, Google's Android automotive system. So the whole system that controls your infotainment, your communications and everything is running on an Android platform. And this means you get full Google services and the Google Play Store and all that and all the fun tracking that comes with that, which you can turn off. But it's in there. Uh, I don't really care about any of that stuff. I don't necessarily think it's a good or a bad thing. I think the tracking is terrible. But in terms of what the infrastructure is behind the system I'm looking at, I don't care so much. But all of this to say, the Google Assistant is programmed directly into the Volvo XC40. So if you say, Google, how far can I drive? Or, okay, Google, how far can I drive? It will tell you You just triggered everyone's Google Assistant. Yeah, I'm sorry for everyone who's listening to this. Um, And it'll tell you the range you have left. But if you say, okay, Google, how much range do I have left? It does not tell you anything. And very strangely, it directs you to the, like, no matter what screen you're on, if you say those words, it takes you to the nav screen, just like a blank nav screen with a map. So and I don't it, understand. So if the feature is there buried inside Google Assistant, it should be on the dashboard with everything else that I would expect from a, a modern vehicle in terms of gauges. I agree. I definitely agree. And that's such a shame because the rest of the usability within this vehicle is pretty um, – it's above average, I think. It's a, it's a great uh, car, interior-wise. There is a couple there, – there's one other thing about the vehicle that I would say is well below average and surprisingly so. And that would, that would be the range it actually offers. Oh, yes, of course. We should talk about the range in an electric car. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if the reason why Volvo is hiding the range is because they're embarrassed about the range. But this is a $53,000 car. Um, it offers 208 miles of range before you have to plug it. That yeah. is that is the bare minimum of what you should expect from a modern electric vehicle. So and- the 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 follow up to that to that discussion or that number is that's an EPA rated range, right? Like that's not is that their own estimation? No, that's or the is EPA. That- that's 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 right. their advertised range in the United States. I often wonder if the if the EPA rated range is not as um, real world as uh, when it comes to EVs as uh, as I guess real world numbers can be. I don't well, know. Well, regardless of whether it is, it's still on par with what you can get from like a Kia Soul or mm-hmm. or EV or a, a Nero, right? What's the Nero? Isn't it 200 miles as well? I think it's a it's a bit more than that. Let me double check. So if my point is the Volvo is an expensive luxury car, it has a lot of performance. It's great. The styling is great. The features are great. I enjoyed driving it. But it's giving me the same range as a much less expensive electric vehicle. To me, that's problematic from a branding and a marketing perspective. It's not the Volvo isn't the only one with this problem. I think the Audi e-tron is 222 miles 
per per charge. So it's about ten percent more. But again, you're not really the Nero has two hundred thirty nine miles. Okay, so both of these vehicles well under the Nero, uh, which is a lot more affordable by yeah. I think fifteen thousand dollars at least. Mm-hmm. Not including uh, tax breaks and whatnot. Yeah, nearly twenty thousand. Jeez. And although the Nero is what front wheel drive only, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that that is anyway. They're not exactly apples to apples, but at the same time, um, these are comparative comparable vehicles. So if I'm buying a luxury car, I want luxury range, and I can get it. If you can get a Tesla Model Y, the base Tesla Model Y is I think three hundred and twenty miles. Wow. Is that correct? I don't know. I, that sounds right. I'm sorry. That that's the like long range. That's the long range, which costs the same as the Vol- as the Volvo. Okay, the comparable Vol- uh, Yeah, I y. think the uh, the base Model Y is 40 miles more than the XC40. So roughly the same as the Nero. Hmm. So it's to me that's an issue. And the other issue I had with the range is I drove it during very cold weather, uh, minus 10. Fahrenheit, I guess, or minus 16 Celsius, something around. I don't know the exact com- com- comparison, but well below freezing. And I saw a drop of 30% in terms of the range. Like I drove 45 miles. I asked Google how much range I had left, and it told me 100 miles. <laughs> so oh, that's, no. That's not great, right? Like that's already – that's about a 30% drop. That's tough. Uh, it's one of the things that – uh, you know, when I drove the um, e-tron, I kept saying to myself, okay, well, it's rated for this 200-ish miles of range, but due to the fast charging and the versatility in the powertrain, I, I managed to get a little bit more than than what was expected, even in poor weather conditions. So that's a bit more troubling, though, to lose 30% of your range just like that due to the weather. Yeah, and, and I, I want to stress, too, this was just because of cold. It wasn't snowy. It wasn't dark. I didn't have the full lighting system on when I was driving, and I didn't have wipers going, and I had I had heat going, obviously, but um, I wasn't. It wasn't like a full drain situation. It's just surprising, uh, especially considering there's a vehicle I want to talk about next uh, that I had a better experience with that was also electric. But just to wrap up the Volvo, uh, the XC40 recharge, it's fast, it's comfortable, it it looks great, and I, I like a lot of its features. I'm disappointed in the range, and I'm disappointed in the cold weather performance, and it's silly that it doesn't show you the range on the dash. So that's kind of how I would sum that up. It's a really interesting effort from Volvo to take their most affordable SUV and make that their first uh, all-electric car, period. Um, yeah. I think it's cool that they chose to do that instead of making it like a $90,000 version of the XC90. Uh, I think that this is a much better way to get people into the electric fold especially if they want a volvo that's electric as well like it's 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 smart marketing um but i I just want to quickly talk about before we move to you sammy and 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 your vehicle that you drove recently um a a similar vehicle that i drove to the kia nero that you just mentioned the the kia soul ev it's sold only in canada so we're not going to talk too much about it but i'm bringing it up because it's roughly the same size as the volvo uh, I'd say it's maybe somewhat smaller. It's front-wheel drive only, but mm-hmm. it it offers similar range. And I drove it back-to-back with the XC40 Recharge, and I saw only a 20% drop in range, and that was during highway driving in extreme cold weather. So high speeds, probably like 118 kilometers an hour, about 70 miles an hour uh, for a, a, a decent road trip. I, I dropped the battery down to the below 50%. And... Um, that's really surprising to me that the Volvo had such a difference versus the Kia during exactly the same conditions. And I think weight probably plays a big role in it. Okay, yeah. I think that's something uh, important to discuss. But my understanding is that 
the the Hyundai and Kia EVs have performed very well in cold weather because they have some special battery um, conditioning technology. I think a heat pump or something like that that keeps the battery at the optimal temperature even when the temperature even when the outside temperature is really cold. I'm surprised that Volvo, which is known for cold weather testing and the whole Scandinavian heritage thing, hasn't gone down a similar route. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a pricing thing. Maybe there's more to it than that. But of course, the Soul and the Nero are are considered to be more affordable vehicles. And yeah. um, and they're, they're also front wheel drive. I think they're they're not as premium on the inside, although they I think they can be in some well, ways. No, they're, they're they're nowhere near the same market, but it, you know roughly the same mission statement, right? Mm-hmm. And and the luxury company should be able to do it better than Kia. But I, I think weight is really playing a huge role here. I would be surprised if the Soul weighed five thousand pounds. You know, <laughs> yes, that's but the, true. And and I also want to point out, I really like the Soul's form factor. I hauled a lot of stuff in it. I packed it to the roof. It's very useful. It's very comfortable. I personally like it a lot more than the Nero. I just think it's a more useful package. I think maybe the Nero is a little more premium inside, if that matters to you. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I found I asked why the Soul EV was sold only in Canada. It turns out that in Europe, it's extremely popular, and Kia does not have the manufacturing to keep up with American demand if they were to offer it there too. So they just limited it to Canada because they knew that sales would be relatively modest here, just smaller population. That's such an interesting. I, I love that to be honest, though, because I think we get told. Um, often enough in our market that there isn't an appetite or an infrastructure that will support uh, electric vehicles here. But in other markets, especially in Europe, the electric vehicle sort of um, charges seems to be going pretty strongly there, so much so that it can affect the the distribution of an of a model to an entire continent, which I think is kind of interesting. So, Sammy, I, I want to pass things on to you. I've kind of been talking about a whole bunch of EVs to start off the show. Do you have an, an EV to talk about? What, what do you bring to the table? I don't have an EV, but you can get the car that I tested um, as a hybrid. I didn't, but I'm talking specifically about the Lexus NX, which is their um, compact crossover. It's It fits between the UX, which I believe you kind of liked, and the RX, which I think I kind of like, uh, although it's getting a little old now. The NX is this um, so this compact crossover. It's available with two powertrains. I had the turbocharged four-cylinder uh, in- engine that makes 235 horsepower and I think 200 and uh, let's just say 58 pound-feet of torque, and I'll, I'll verify that number later. Uh, and it's a it's an I think it's a kind of attractive little. Um, crossover, which I think is not really commonly said about um, Lexus's exterior design. Now, right? how, how new is this design? Like, is this the same NX we've always had? Has there been yes, any? Yes, there's only been one generation of Lexus NX, and this is still, it, we're still dealing with it right now. And it's so, been a while, right? Like, I, I think the last time I drove an NX might have been when it launched, and I want to say that was like 2014 or something, 2015? Yeah, it feels like five years for sure. Um, but you know what? The car has been pretty popular. It's been in production since 2014. Okay. Uh, but the, the vehicle has been pretty popular, which makes sense because the Lexus RX is one of the most popular um, crossover, luxury crossovers in North America. So the NX, for people who, um, who I guess don't need the extra size of the RX or the, the extra cost associated with it, um, they, could, they would go down towards this NX. I will admit there have been some interesting changes. When the car first debuted, I think it was known as the Lexus uh, NX. 
I'm going to say 250 or 200. That's what it was. 200T. And now it's called the 300, but no change in displacement or powertrain has happened. <laughs> so it's just, they just changed the name. Yeah. Um, and there was a, a hybrid. It was called the 300H, and it's still called the 300H. So there you go. Um, I remember the thing I remember most from driving this vehicle was I think it was an early implementation of the Lexus touchpad for the awful inf- infotainment system it had. And yep. I remember that th- they offered this like it was a this was back when haptic feedback was the the catchword for every single vehicle presentation that I was attending. And um, that means haptic is like when you touch a screen and it pushes back on your finger to mm-hmm. let you know that it's received your touch. And uh the yeah. haptic feedback for that mouse pad was adjustable. And if you set it on its highest setting, it would literally pop your finger off the mouse pad. Like it was like being punched with its tiny little, <laughs> tiny little hammer that would just pop you up. And it was the hardest thing to use. And I hated it so much. Well, it still has the touchpad and the haptic feedback. There haven't, there ha- I mean, I guess there has been some improvement to the infotainment system. It's a bigger screen, for example. Um, and now it supports Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, but um, I'm not able to to give it any more praise than that. The touchpad, the touchpad is one of the the weakest implementation of infotainment control, I think, uh, in general across the industry. And we've seen it a couple of times. And I really hope this this fad kind of um, gets gets you know phases out because touchpads just feel a little dangerous. They require a lot more um, mental capacity while driving yeah you have to like pull so much attention. focus from the road just because it's just not as um direct i guess is the best way to describe it or predictable as to how it's going to go to a specific place that you want and the haptic feedback is designed to let your finger know or let you know through touch when you when you've like scrolled over a button that you can press but that's not helpful when you don't know what that button is or <laughs> If if it's not the like the one you are aiming at, in which case it really it really bogs down the whole usability of the vehicle. Bottom line, it's not great. It's not a great user experience, which is a shame because I think the NX is a pretty. Um, I'm going to say it's above average. Um, it's an above average package. I think it's pretty spacious. It's a it has a very nice interior, um, a very stylish interior. Lots of like um, flowing lines in the in the cabin. The the, the the center console looks kind of like a like a cliff in some ways. Like it's got like an interesting design to the a interior. Cliff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to describe a ridge, a, cri- right. a cliff. You're a writer, right? Like, yeah. This is, okay. Yes, of course. There's, there's. What I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of different. Um, it's not a boxy interior. It's no, not, I get it's it. You're describing a cliff-like environment. I, <laughs> I'm right there with you. Good. And, um, and, and I mean, the materials in typical Lexus fashion are pretty, um, pretty solid. They feel great. There are a few small things that I think Lexus has ignored over the years. Uh, ever since the car first debuted, they've had some exposed screws by the, um, by the the armrest, which I always thought was interesting. And there was also a removable mirror um, right ahead of the, between the uh, armrest and the gear selector, which I found to be very curious and unnecessary. A removable mirror? Yep. Oh, like is that the one mirror. that pops out out of the, out of the center console and you can hold yeah. it in your hand? A compact. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know why that's there, why that was there. I don't know why it's still there. Um, I'm glad that it hasn't been lost. The car that I had had some of the most mileage of any press vehicle I've had. 
um, in my career. I think it had nearly 15,000 uh, uh, clicks on it, which I think is pretty impressive. But the car still felt, you know, it, it feels it feels buttoned down. I really do like the the just the engagement of it um, for a vehicle in its class. It's it's very predictable. It feels good. It feels a little heavy, a little like you need uh, uh, to add a little bit more effort into every little sort of uh, input that you do. But then again, this is a pretty heavy car at forty at four thousand pounds, which is not insignificant. No, but it's still a thousand pounds behind the XC forty. So like, <laughs> yeah. let's keep that in perspective. But it's also like two hundred horsepower behind. Yes. Um, I, I was pleasantly surprised at how competent this honestly ancient vehicle feels. Um, it, it, it is good. It is still good. Um, I think there's room for improvement now. It needs a new engine, um, or at least a little bump up in terms of horsepower, because I think all the competition is catching up to it. Um, and I would like to see some improved technology within the cabin. Um, we saw, we mentioned the touchpad infotainment screen which is a pain in the butt because I think even the RX has a touch screen now. Um, and that would be great to, to, to implement here. So if you were to compare this to a much more contemporary uh, luxury SUV or crossover. Like, say, the Cadillac X-T4, which is something that I have done. Um, what about what, but not just the XT4? Something that is you know really good. <laughs> like, is this something like is this an older design that holds up in a vacuum, or is this an older design that still holds up when you drive it back to back with something that's more modern? What is the best car in this class? I that's really hard to say. I know. Um, maybe the X3. The X3 is a tiny, tiny bit bigger. I think. But it's still going after the same kind of dollars. Yeah. And the X3 feels really uh, technically better in every way. It, it has more features. It has a far more versatile powertrain. There are different engine options. Um, I'm not as enthusiastic about, the, about the, uh, you, the interior of the X3, but it has gotten much better over the years. And, of course, iDrive is a little bit more familiar and easier to use than the, the remote touch in the Lexus. So I think what you said, is it good in a vacuum? Uh, definitely. Very good. If you jump into a Lexus NX without test driving anything else, you will be impressed. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But you should keep your options option open and see what else is in your in your price range. The XT4 is a little bit more modern, uh, as I mentioned. is really not that awful. Um, <laughs> that's an awful way to say it. It's not that bad. We did kind of joke on it a little bit. But it does have many, many features that will uh, appeal to somebody in the luxury car market. Um, I think the X3 and the GLC from Mercedes are very good, um, and uh, the, even the, the Q5, if you can squeeze in there. The RDX, I think, the Acura RDX is probably the best um, rival for the um, for the NX, as well as the Infiniti QX50, which both have their fatal flaws. I think the the what is it? The RDX is a tiny bit stiffer, but it's got a great powertrain. Uh, and a really high-tech, sporty interior. It's like buttons everywhere. Um, really neat, like lighting and ambient lighting. Someone it's very would say too many buttons. Too many buttons, but it does have. It, it leaves a really strong first impression, uh, uh, and I think that's really cool. The on the other end of the spectrum is the QX50, which I think is a little bit more toned down, sort of in sort of its sporting pretensions. It's much more comfortable, much softer. It has a much more spacious interior and a beautifully designed cabin. 
Um, the only thing you have to wor- worry about that is it has a very weird um, engine, this uh, variable compression turbo, and a CVT, which does not feel luxurious at all. So you're, so, saying, you're saying the NX is not a slam dunk. This is, this is one of many. Yeah. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. You got to test drive it to find out. It's a very good balance between those two uh, other Japanese luxury vehicles. And I think that's fine. That's a fair place for Lexus to be in. Okay. So um, any final thoughts on the NX? Nope. That's it. Um, I do want to talk about a listener email that we got. Ben, do you you feel comfortable sharing this listener email? Yeah. Uh, I mean, (laughs) comfortable sharing it. I mean, they did did ask us a direct question. So, yes. Okay. Um, we got a question from Thomas, uh, who's getting in touch with us from Norway. So shout out to Norway. Uh, we actually have uh, some really great listeners in Norway. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to hear from them. And uh, made, I made a, a really good friend uh, from Norway, thanks to the podcast. So uh, shout out to Tobias for that. Um, and in any case, this, po- this, this question is, uh, I'm an 18-year-old car enthusiast who wants to buy my first car. We've all been there. I need something fun and cheap. Maybe something tunable or upgradable and preferably four doors so that uh, my friends can come along. Um, what would you guys choose? So, Sammy, this okay. is an interesting question because the Norwegian market, very different from ours in terms of availability and cost. So knowing what's cheap is a little harder for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first thought is to ask Sammy for his first thought. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Um, my, I would, if I was approaching this like it was my same situation, I don't know what the availability in Norway is like, um, and I'm not sure what, um, like what the cars and the costs will be like. But if it was like me at, at 18, um, probably the first thing I would look for. This is crazy, I think, is a Civic Si, which seems a little bit overdone, but it really there. It's there for a reason. A lot of people have Civic Si's. They've tuned them. They've uh, resold them. They've they, they are super affordable. I don't think they have the best resale value in the world, but they are very fun to drive. They've got a great manual transmission, um, and you can find there's an aftermarket piece for every part of that car. So right? they made the, yeah, and they made a sedan Si in 2007, right? Which had uh, just under 200 horsepower. It still liked to rev. Um, it was, uh, from what I understand, a pretty decent car. Uh, I want to make the, the problem with the SI is there's so many different models out there, and uh, it can be it can be easy to mix them up. They they had different models that were built in different places and sold in different places under the same name, which yeah. is like always a frustrating thing when you're trying to figure out which SI is the good SI. But I think maybe check out the the one that started in 2007. Before that, there was a hatchback. I think it was often called as the S- – some markets it was the SIR. It, right. it was like a weird bread van. I think it was built in England. Um, a lot of people didn't like it. But <laughs> – no, but it, because a lot of those people were used to the one that came out in the late 90s. And it was super high revving. VTEC was everything back then. And then the the SIR was not that. It was it was a little bit different. So um, it had a weird shifter mounted on the dash, which was like pretty. Deep. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's you, you would say Civic SI. I would say check something out. Like I just bought a car actually uh, very cheaply, very very cheaply a for a winter beater kind of thing from a friend, and it's a Subaru um, Impreza RS. Which is essentially, it looks like a WRX. It's a 2004. And it looks like a WRX with the flared fenders, the wider track. Uh, some of them came with a wing. Mine didn't. It has a more aggressive gear ratio for the transmission. Um, but it has the regular engine from Subaru. It's like a 170 horsepower motor, I think. 
and uh, it's a little more reliable and easier on gas. Still has all-wheel drive, but it's fun. It's like it's it's a lightweight car to a degree compared to modern vehicles. The interior is nothing special, but it's comfortable and it kind of wraps around you in a way that older cars do, uh, that modern cars kind of do less of. And um, if you want to get a WRX from that era, I wouldn't discourage you, but the cost mm-hmm. of ownership is higher. It's hard to find a cheap one that hasn't been abused. And um, when I was 18, I made a lot of bad decisions behind the wheel. And if <laughs> I'd had like WRX levels of horsepower, I would be dead. I would be yeah. dead right now. So I think maybe an RS is kind of a more interesting choice from that from that era. I um, I'm... <laughs> I like the idea of a Subaru, especially um, I imagine that Norway does see some weather like we do, which is, can be a very harsh winters, which can include very harsh winters and lots of snow. And of course, a Subaru will be a, uh, awesome in the snow. You will be the, the only guy uh, hustling around, assuming you're, you're equipped with, with the right you can uh, get a, tires. Yeah, you can get a hatchback. I don't know if the RS package was called the RS in the hatch. I think it might have been the TS. or It's weird because TS was also sometimes used to describe the base model. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, even in a regular Impreza, there's a decent aftermarket for it suspension-wise. If you wanted to yeah. tune the, I would forget about power for a car like in this price point. Um, and when you're just starting out, and if you did want to tune it, I, I think suspension is kind of a cool way to do it because you can take these smaller four-door compact cars and make them handle really well. And yeah. that's very rewarding to drive. And um, it's you learn a lot more about driving with a low-powered car because you have to be smoother and you have to be more careful. And if you make a mistake, um, it's much more obvious. You can't just put the gas pedal down and, and kind of make up for lost time. And I mean, I think one of the most interesting things about the two cars that we recommend is that there are a lot of options um, year-wise. I mean, I think you can get a Subaru Impreza from a number of years ago. Um, and same with the, the Civic Si. You can get a 90s one or 2000s one as well. Um, and you can get away with that as well, I think. So even that will help you fit a car into your budget um, no matter what, right? There, there is an outlier car that Sammy and I had talked about earlier the Golf GTI. Oh, yes. That was a good call. So that's a, a four-door hatch. Pretty much everyone's familiar with it. Front-wheel drive, turbocharged engine for the most part. I mean, don't go back and get like a VR6 or anything. That, that'll kill you fuel-wise. But if you can get like the Turbo 4, your biggest issue is going to be reliability. The mm-hmm. cars aren't built very well. They're not built terribly, but they're not built very well. So that could be frustrating. If you want to spend your money on tuning parts and not spend your money on repairs, right? <laughs> but uh, you'll, you'll definitely learn if you're working on the car yourself. So that's always an option as well. Some people like the Jetta. I know in Europe the GTI is more popular. I, I prefer the GTI myself. But, I have uh, to add, though. I have to ask, though. I think that engine that was in like the last two or three generations of uh, GTI is like the same one, isn't it? It's like a EA. What is it called? The that two liter engine. I think is super popular. Maybe or one point eight. But if we're talking about cheap, then we're going to be going back to two thousands, like mid two thousands. Right. So I'm not sure if you go that's all the way back point. there. I I'd want, you know, for me, an inexpensive car, if I'm first starting out, something that's like 15 years old is probably the sweet spot. Right. At least call. in North America, that will get you something that's still modern enough and probably in good enough shape to not be a hassle, but something that's old enough where it's going to be very inexpensive to buy. You're right. Right. Um, all right. Well, if, uh, if you, dear listener, want to ask us a question, it's very easy to do so. Just head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, um, and fill out the little contact form, and 
just like that, your your question gets sent right to our uh, inboxes, which is very helpful. And we can probably answer your question on the next episode. It's, it's super simple, right, Ben? Yeah, and if you want to get in touch with us in another way, you can do that on social media. I'm at Hunting Benjamin on Instagram, and Sammy is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, on Twitter. Um, alternatively, you can email us the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Sammy, if people want to listen to older episodes, can they do that on our website as well? Yeah, they can just scroll through pretty much the archive of our of our podcast, 200-plus episodes of our podcast on our website. Or, of course, you can just search for us in your favorite podcast client, um, Unnamed Automotive Podcast, and you'll find us. Super uh, simple. Yeah, and actually, we it's kind of funny. Earlier today, we were looking through the archives. We wanted to see which episodes um, – how many episodes we dedicated to various brands. They're not dedicated, but mentioned. And it turns out that our top three – uh, brands on the show are BMW, Dodge, or sorry, not Dodge, BMW, Jeep, and Ford. I think that was the one, two, three. And then it's kind of like a, a dead heat between Dodge and Toyota and a couple of others. And the the brands that we've talked about the least in the last four years are Jaguar, uh, <laughs> Ferrari, and um, well, I can't remember. The, Aston? The, Aston Martin, yeah. Or Buick. But, but what's oh we have Buick. Well, what's funny is we've actually driven we've driven more Buicks than we've driven Jaguars, but we've driven the same number of Ferraris as we've driven Jaguars. So <laughs> that's that's a little strange. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you for listening, Ben. What are you going to be talking about next week? Next week, I am going to be. Oh, that's a great question, Sammy. You caught me completely off guard. Aha, I'm going to be finally. talking about the Toyota Venza Hybrid. Um, which you know, it's puzzling. I've been I've I've already started driving it and. Man, Sammy, I just don't know what to say. So hopefully the next few days are going to give me more insight into this vehicle because it's it's so far confusing. And you know what? I actually have a similar uh, feeling about the Acura MDX that I'm driving, which is a brand new generation of this um, three-row luxury car. So let's uh, let's catch up next week. Okay, Ben? All right. Bye. <laughs>